Dayspring University hosts Dr. Chris Lorstorfer as he presents a four-part sermon series on spiritual respiration. Today is session four of four. So I tried, I, my, my plan was to have your module thing all on one page, but after I, maybe I'm just old, but I'm like, man, that looks small. So hopefully I'll be able to read it tonight. I don't know. If I'd have thought about it, if I knew it was going to come out that small looking, I'd done two pages, you know, front and back. But I was trying to keep it on just on the front. Uh, okay, so we've been talking about this concept of spiritual respiration. John Wesley, uh, primarily in his sermon, the, um, the, privilege, the Great Privilege of Those Who Are Born of God, uh, in that sermon, he brings up this concept of spiritual respiration. And I'm making the argument that it is an underlying theme throughout Wesley's understanding of being a disciple, spiritual life, etc. It's just basically finding ways to breathe in God's grace, to take it in. That's what feeds you, just like breathing in oxygen feeds your cells. Uh, breathing in God's grace through, um, primarily through the, the means of grace, um, prayer, Bible, and worship. And then breathing out God's grace uh, just like in breathing, you need to get rid of carbon dioxide. carbon dioxide. I think a couple of times we got it mixed up on there, but I, anyway, um, you need to do that because that's the, that's the waste byproduct of the, of the oxygen and it's got to go out. So in the same way, when you receive God's grace, you should be responding with, uh, with praise and prayer and love toward God and others. That's, that's the response. Wesley said that is the breath of anyone who's born of God. Praise, prayer, and, and love. Now, let me, uh, so I want to kind of wrap it up tonight by attaching that concept to the idea of sanctification, which always scares, the word sanctification always scares people. It will not scare you tonight. I'm going to make it practical and understandable. Okay, now, let me just first start with this thing when I'm calling the human story. Um, there it is right there. And I'm going to put it in four parts. And, and I've already said this, uh, at least the first three parts in the first three nights, and I'll tie it up this way. Number one, we were created to reflect the sun. Now, I get that primarily that statement primarily, almost as a quote, from uh, St. Athanasius in the, um, in the 4th century. His work was called On the Incarnation of the Word. And he makes that statement that we were given the image of God in order to reflect the Son. Now, what that means is this. If you're looking at Trinitarian thought here, God the Father is sharing His life in the Son the Son surrendering it back to Him. That's what we mean by Trinitarian life. And we were created to participate in that, to be a part of that. And in that sense, we're reflecting the Son. Our existence is like that or the, is to be the same as that of the Son, receiving God's life and offering it back again. And God breathed His life into us right off the bat. See, that's how, that's how it all started. Uh, but... We were fallen into what I'm calling misreflection, misreflection. 
An interesting thing happened when we rejected the life of God. In that spiritual death, it, uh, it's classically called throughout Christianity, a spiritual death occurs. And when that happens, Wesley said, we take on two images. We become like the devil in our, in our soul's affections, in pride and self-will. So inwardly, like the devil. Outwardly, like, like the beast's. We're living according to the uh, lust of the flesh, like an animal does, just on basic instinct and uh, that way. So in that sense, we've, we've become uh, a misreflection. Now, you don't fully lose the image of God, obviously. There's, there's rem- remnants of that that shines through on occasion. But we're not reflecting the sun when we're fallen, and that's the issue. And so then number three, we were redeemed through the sun's reflection. Now, here's what I mean by that. We were created to reflect the sun, but he reflected us. He became like us. We were meant to be like him, but here he comes in our flesh. And again, Athanasius in the fourth century said, it was our sorry case that made the sun come. It was our fallenness. It was the reason for his coming. He became like us so that we could become like him. We are redeemed to reflect the sun. We've missed that in throughout Christian history because we, we failed to recognize that, that shared life concept in which we were created. And now what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? You've punched a ticket. You're going to heaven someday. You believe a fact. And so now your, your path is clear to, to go to heaven someday. Instead of Understanding that what God has done is bring us into, that thing's going to bother me, bring us into this shared life with him. He's breathed his life into us again, and we should be then breathing it back. And Wesley says, as he acts on your soul and you react, he continues to act. And the more you react, the more he acts. And it's just this thing going on. Well, that relationship of spiritual respiration is a reflection of what's called the perichoresis. Um, That's on the next slide. That big word right there, perichoresis. Uh, It's where we get our word choreography. Yeah, to dance. Remember, again, C.S. Lewis said, God is not a singular person, but more like a dance, he said. Uh, And that comes right out of Gregory Nazianzen in the late 4th century, who said that the shared life between the Father and the Son, the movement between them, is a perichoresis. It's like a, it's a, the, the father's sharing his life, the son is giving it back, and there's this movement, see? Well, that's the spiritual life. That's spiritual respiration. So think about this. We were created to reflect that, but in salvation, particularly as we think about the concept of spiritual respiration, we are once again reflecting that. That is what spiritual life is in the Wesleyan understanding. It's a reflection of that uh, what I call here the shared life of God reciprocated through respiration. Reciprocated, right? He breathes into you, you breathe back. So there's that thing happening. Now, here's where I want to bring that. And that's kind of a, that's a, a review of what I've basically said the last three weeks. Let me bring it to this. Uh, salvation, first of all, is about the life of God in us. I think this is a point sorely missed in Christian theology, at least in the folk level of, 
of church life, we've missed the point that this is about God's life in us. You very seldom ever hear a sermon on, on regeneration. But it's amazing, John Wesley spoke more about regeneration than he did entire sanctification. He believed that when God comes, when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes, and you receive God, His life in you through the Holy Spirit. He is once again breathing His life into you. That's Wesley's concept, and he was extremely strong on it. And if you miss that, the rest of it gets a little weird. But we have. We've bought into, in the Wesley movement, we've bought into the typical evangelical plagiarism of today, which basically says, all you need to do is believe this. If you believe this, you're good. That's not, that's not a biblical view of salvation. Jesus said, you must be born again. Whatever happened to that? Paul said, if you've not received the Spirit, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. Whatever happened to that? Peter said, you've been begotten again. Where's that preached? And 1 John, I taught on 1 John about uh, 5.30 yesterday morning at Wesley Institute. Uh, 1 John is also, without saying the words born again, is, is full of it. If you read, if you read 1 John, you, you see some interesting things. I can't go into it. I don't have time. But it's very interesting. The, the New Testament writers were talking about an experience of the Spirit that occurs at salvation. We miss it. But salvation is about the life of God in us. Now here's what John Wesley said. This is from his sermon, Original Sin, which you'll see after the next quote. I think I put the, uh, the reference there. He said, know your disease, know your cure. I could tell you where he got that phrase right there, but you wouldn't be interested. But the original phrase was, uh, the first step to knowing your disease, sorry, knowing your cure. The first step to knowing your cure is knowing your disease. William King, Archbishop of Dublin, 1701. I'll throw it out there. Okay, the book is called The Origin of Evil. Anyway, um, know your disease, know your cure. You were born in sin, therefore you must be born again, born of God. By nature, you are wholly corrupted. By grace, you shall be wholly renewed. In Adam, you all died. In the second Adam in Christ, you're all made alive. You that were dead in sins, hath he quickened. Man. Now, you don't hear that much. But that is the Wesleyan message of salvation. This is about the life of God in us. This is about being made alive by the Spirit's coming. That's what salvation is for Wesley. Yes. Yeah, quickened, made alive. That's just the old English. Thank you. I got you. Yeah, thanks. Keep me real. Keep me real. Okay, next slide. Sanctification, and I'm distinguishing between those two things, but they are closely related in Wesley, as I'm about to show you. Sanctification is about the life of God transforming us. Now, you notice the two? Salvation, the life of God in us, being made alive by the Spirit. Sanctification, about God transforming us. Now, here's what Wesley said. This is a strong statement, a strong statement. Uh, 
You know that the great end of religion is to renew our hearts in the image of God, to repair that total loss of righteousness and true holiness, which we sustained by the sin of our first parents. Stop right there for a second. A very Arminian statement right there. Arminius, uh, the theologian Arminius, uh, said that what happened in the fall was not that we gained something, we lost something, right? An original righteousness, a holiness with which Adam was created and was sustained in him by the life of God in him, that's what we lost, and that's why people come into the world corrupt. That's the issue. We're missing something. You think about that. We're missing something. The something, if you remember from the point before this, is, is the Spirit, and that's what comes in salvation. See, So salvation is a correction to what's happened, right? But he goes on. So he said, you know, that's the end of this thing. The, the, the real true end of religion, what God's trying to do is repair that loss and bring you back to the image. Listen to what he says. You know that all religion which does not answer this end, all that stops short of this, the renewal of our soul in the image of God after the likeness of Him that created it, is no other than a poor farce and a mere mockery of God to the destruction of our own soul. Then he said this, Oh, beware of all those teachers of lies who would palm this upon you for Christianity. Hey, listen, John Wesley would have to stay away from most preachers in the 21st century. Because most people do not preach that God's purpose in salvation is to remake you into the image of God and repair that loss of spiritual life with which we sustained in Adam. That's not, we say it's to get to heaven. You need to believe this fact. I mean, this is, this is evangelism, right? You're a sinner, and God, uh, Jesus died to uh, forgive your sins. And if you believe that, aren't you good? You are powerful. You are powerful. If you believe that, you'll go to heaven. Boom. By your own belief, you just went to heaven. That's great. You're something special. However, that's not biblical. And Wesley says, anybody who stops short, I mean, I guess you could go beyond the statement, but, but if you stop short of that, he says it's a poor farce and a mere mockery, and you should stay away from that preacher. Well, man, turn that TV off, because you won't hear it. You're not going to hear it. It's just not preached. Okay. Questions or comments? Nobody's riled up yet? Listen, when I say this kind of thing sometimes, I remember years ago in this church in Michigan, I brought this whole thing up about what is real salvation. This couple were so angry with me in the middle of that, they both stood up. I mean, they had to to get their mind clear, but they had to stand up to to tell me what they were thinking on that one. They they uh, They were angry, but I don't see angry faces here. No rocks being thrown. Throw money, but no rocks. It comes later. There you go. Okay, any questions, thoughts right there? Everybody good? Yes, ma'am. Yes, the realization of the condition. Mm, you can't get found until you realize you're lost. Well, that, that actually uh, is a pretty good statement. He's a CBP, we call it. Country Baptist preacher, CBP. Yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to know y'all, but, but you know, it's interesting. Um, why are you lost and what have you lost is the question there, and that's, that's very important. Uh, okay, next, let's talk about sanctification then. For John Wesley, 
And I'm getting this part, by the way, out of his sermon, Scripture Way of Salvation. Um, John Wesley believed that sanctification is not something attached to your salvation. It is your salvation, right? And, and Wesley did not make it a one-two punch. Saved and then sanctified. Wesley did not do that. Um, here's what he said. And, I, and again, I'm not just going to say it, I'm going to show you what he said. And at the same time that we're justified, yea, in that very moment, sanctification begins. When you are born again, you receive the Spirit. How much of the Spirit? You receive all of the Spirit. Technically, I probably shouldn't tell you this because it's too controversial, but I will tell you. John Wesley believed, as, uh, as well as many other people, that the baptism with the Spirit occurs at the new birth, not sometime later. What happened on the day of Pentecost was the new covenant, which is about being born again. And he saw, he saw the baptism with the Spirit as being when you're born again. Listen to what he says. At the same time that we're justified, in that moment, sanctification begins. In that instant, we are born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. There is a real as well as a relative change. Relative change means that you, in relationship to God, changed, right? I mean, there is a, there is a re relative change, right? So I, I, was, I was cut off from God, now I'm made right with God. Okay, th I'm not saying that's not there, but that's not all that happened. He said a real change happens. What's the real change? We are inwardly renewed by the power of God. For John Wesley, when you're saved, the moment you're saved is the moment that you are born again. Made alive by the Spirit. And guess what happens when, when that happens? You're changed. And that's the beginning, what I'm calling initial sanctification. Initial. In other words, you cannot receive the Spirit and remain the same. When he comes, you will change. If you haven't changed, he hasn't come. Now, you can make some changes. I'm not talking about, you, you know, anybody can make changes. But there's some things only God can do. And if that hadn't happened yet, he hadn't come yet. Because when he comes, there is a real change. We are inwardly renewed by the power of God. Now, God's not done yet. And this is where a lot of people are mistaken about salvation. They think that moment is, is one and done, right? God did everything he's going to do in that moment. In the sermon, if you read the sermon, Scripture Way of Salvation, Wesley says, you know, at first you kind of think it is done. You know, you're excited. A change has occurred. God has come. And, you know, you're just, you're, you may be on fire at that moment. You're like, hey, we're done. I'll never forget the moment. I'd been saved maybe six months. I'd, I'd stopped really going around some of the people I'd been around. I just needed to step back. And so I was in our little town. I went to the grocery store, and this lady says, I haven't seen you. I, now, take that back. I may have been maybe a, almost a year in by this time, more than six months, maybe nine months. She says, I haven't seen you in a long time. You look different. There's something different about you. I said, well... You know, uh, however long it was, blah, 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 I became a Christian. Oh, great, great, great. I can really tell a difference in you. 
I, I leave the store. Now, see, that should be good, right? That, that's a good thing. She saw the difference. I was like, that's, that's good. I'm glad she could see it. I get right around the corner, brick wall. And God said, you're not done. She saw the change. And the change initially, that initial change was real. I, I had received the Holy Spirit into my life. I was changed. But God said, don't think you're done. And Wesley said, quoting from some guys from the 4th century, it doesn't take long until you realize that yes, there was a change. Yes, the image of God is being re-stamped on you. But inwardly, there are some issues yet. to See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You received all the Spirit. You, you got all the Spirit, but He didn't get all of you. There are locked doors which you've spent your lifetime locking and protecting. And he's not going in there just kicking down doors. And so Wesley says, from the time of our being born again, see, he, he's strong on regeneration. You see that. From the time of our being born again, the gradual work of sanctification takes place. Let me stop you right there. I didn't say progressive. I said gradual. Uh, progressive sanctifications that thought, you know, well, I'm always growing, but never really finished, never getting there. That's not what he's saying. Listen how he defines it. Listen how he defines it. We are enabled by the Spirit, not something just you do. We are enabled by the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body of our evil nature. And as we are more and more dead to sin, we are more and more alive to God. We go on from grace to grace. In other words, you get saved the Holy Spirit comes, you're born again, you're changed, life is occurring now, and at some point in there, two things begin to happen. Number one, you begin to realize there's more to your inward parts than just what's already been redeemed, and you, you begin to know that, right? And what, what's happening is, and let me, let me put it in a relational phrase here, if the Spirit's in you and you're relating to Him, the time on this is how you relate. If you've got spiritual respiration going, the Spirit speaks very clear in that. I mean, you might be even serving, right? You may be doing works, works of mercy, and, and the Spirit says, why are you doing that? What, what's your motivation? Did you just do that to look good? You feel good about yourself because you did that? And He begins to approach you, and what happens is that's the place as you're, as you're breathing in, breathing out, that's the place of the rub where God begins to work. And the Spirit, number one, will show you there's more work to be done. But number two, He begins to lead you to the cross. Not the cross of Jesus. The cross of, put your name in there. I remember one time, I was at this camp meeting. And for whatever reason in this place, there were two crosses. There was a white cross right in the middle, and there was another one laying right over there to the right. For, I mean, just kind of laying there on the side. And this girl that I knew was really struggling. Uh, she went to the altar, in fact, and when I tried to talk with her at the altar, I realized she wasn't, she really wasn't doing business, you know. So I told her, I've never done it before or after, I don't suggest it, but I told her, I said, I think you just need to go sit down. I made her go back and sit down, <laughs> which killed her. So eventually, I go back around her. She's really struggling. I can see her. She's praying. She's crying. She's really struggling. I went around and said, you see those two crosses? The first one is the cross of Jesus, and that's where he died for your sins. It's empty. 
because he resurrected. It, that part's done. You see that second one? That's yours, and it's empty because you don't have the guts to get on it. And that's the problem. That is the problem. In our inwardness, and that's the issue with, with carnality, is without the life of God bringing full satisfaction to you, your soul turns inward, and even your body, uh, the um, uh, appetites of the body and the, uh, and the uh, attitudes and affections of the soul all turn inward for satisfaction because you were meant for that. So, boom, there you go. Well, if you're like that and you are born again, God is going to move you out from that. He's going to move you out from that. He begins to, and by the way, if you're this way, you don't go on a cross if you're looking for satisfaction. I mean, it's just not natural, right? You're going to be opposed to the cross. But as God begins to lead you gradually, and again, it only really happens as you're in spiritual respiration, He leads you gradually because He doesn't want you to bolt on Him and, or have a heart attack on Him right there. He slowly leads you to the cross over and over again to a cross. Will you give that to me? Will you die to that? Will you give that up? Will you let that go? And as he says, uh, the more and more dead to sin we are, we're more and more alive to God. There's this process, not progress, I said process. The, there's a process of dying to yourself, and when you do, you, you, you uh, not the word feel, you experience more of God when you do. And so daily, as you're walking in that road, put, taking up your cross, dying to yourself, and God's dealing with you, and you're dealing with it, you become more and more alive to God. You're moving in this, in this way toward the end of it. And then, and now, now, hear what I'm saying. Initial and gradual are connected. It's not one, two. It's one that begins to work. See, right? The Spirit comes, and then He begins to do this thing. And as he takes you down this way and you come to the end of yourself, you get fully to that point and you are doing all the things necessary. We'll talk about waiting, but basically you're in spiritual respiration. Your relationship with God is intimate and you are dying to self. At that point, that is where we wait for entire sanctification. The word entire doesn't mean that you're done. It means that the Spirit's uh, sanctifying work is gone throughout you. Because again, remember, the problem is we're lacking the life. So the life comes and it begins to spread as we open up to it. And the word entire means we've given it all. The Spirit has access to all who we are. He's cleansing all who we are. And that doesn't mean He's done. It means He's got to the depth of us now. It is thus, he says, they're talking about mortifying the deeds of the body, right? It is thus that we wait for entire sanctification. Notice he said wait. Uh, he didn't say uh, claim. Yeah, he didn't say claim, he said wait. It is thus we wait for entire sanctification, for a full salvation from all our sins, from pride, self-will, anger, unbelief, or as the apostle expresses it, go into perfection. But what is perfection? The word has various senses. Here it means perfect love. It is love excluding sin, love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. It is love rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing, in everything giving thanks. Three phases 
The Spirit comes initially transforming you, yes. Because He's there, that relationship with Him as you're walking in it begins to lead you into this thing of of death. And when that's complete, we call that entire sanctification. Wesley calls it that. He got it from a... uh, He got the phrase from Peter Brown, an Irish philosopher who used it in his 1728 book, The Extent of Human Understanding, where he was talking about uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, may the very God of peace himself sanctify you holy, King Jimmy said. The word is holoteles, and so uh, what, um, what Peter Brown does is he says holoteles entirely in every part, which is what the word, the, the word holoteles has got two parts to it. Uh, completely and all of it, right? So entirely in every part is how Peter Brown said it. And Wesley read and used, he actually published Peter Brown's, some of his work. He took that phrase entirely sanctified to say here that when the Spirit comes, initially he brings transformation, he leads you into death. And at the end of that, when he's fully filling and transforming all that you are, that's called entire sanctification. Questions, comments? Yes, Steve? Yeah, and it's, it's even more than your will. It's, it's a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's all of you. Yeah, and that's the thing. And so you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a bacon and egg breakfast kind of situation. You know, most Christians don't mind being the chicken. Nobody wants to be the pig. God doesn't need more chickens in the church. You know, I give a few eggs. That's what I call consecration. You know, yeah, I'll consecrate my whatever. Yeah, and you're still living but you're just giving that to God. See, you're giving him a few eggs. Yeah, he's looking for a pig. Because God, like me, loves bacon. Now, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, waiting. How do you wait for entire sanctification? And this is where I'm bringing in spiritual respiration back to it. Um, Here's what Wesley says. And again, I'm just telling you what Wesley says here. And is it not incumbent on all that are justified to be zealous of good works? Well, yeah, the Bible says that. You know, tell, t- uh, Paul said to Titus, make sure you tell him to be uh, zealous of good works. Well, John Wesley's asked the question, what good works are necessary for sanctification, right? Um, yea, are not these so necessary? Now listen to this. That if a man willingly neglect them, whatever these good works, he hadn't defined them yet, whatever the good works are, there are good works which we should be zealous of, and if we willingly neglect, he cannot reasonably expect that he should ever be sanctified in the fuller sense. Let me tell you, I don't hear sermons on this, but there's some things blocking Christians from being entirely sanctified. And Wesley said, there are some things you need to be doing 
that if you're not doing them, it's not even reasonable that you would expect to be sanctified. But he goes on. Um, that is that is perfect in love. No, can he even can he grow at all in grace in the loving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Yea, can he retain the grace which has already been given him? Can he continue in the faith which he has received or in the favor of God? In other words, not only can you not be sanctified without these works, you can't stay where you are. You can't even stay still without doing them. Now, see, at this point, I'm thinking, what are they? Because I need to be doing those, whatever it is. Uh, Why both repentance rightly understood and the practice of all good works. Here it is, works of piety as well as works of mercy. You know that language. Now properly so-called, since they spring from faith, are in some sense, some sense necessary to sanctification. Um, Let me check my time to see if I want to explain some sense. Yeah, I've got a little time. Some sense. Now, here's why he says some sense, and he talks about this in that sermon. Because technically, the only thing you need for a work of grace to happen is faith, right? Let's go back to initial salvation. What is necessary for a person to be saved? Faith. However, can you have saving faith without repentance? No, that's going to be the problem. Repentance is in some sense necessary, but not technically necessary, because faith is the only thing necessary. But what is saving faith, right? That's the full reliance on Christ. You you can't do that unless you've repented. Well, in the same way, these works aren't magic. The works don't sanctify you. You're only sanctified by faith. However, you can't have that sanctifying faith without those works. It's it's some sense necessary. Uh, Next page, kind sir. So he, he explains it. And you know this language from here in this church. First, all works of piety, such as public prayer, family prayer, praying in our closet, receiving the supper of the Lord, searching the scriptures by hearing, reading, meditating, and using such a measure of fasting or abstinence as our bodily health allows. Secondly, all works of mercy, whether they relate to the bodies or souls of men, such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, entertaining the strangers, visiting those who are in prison or sick or variously afflicted, such as endeavoring to instruct the ignorant, to waken the stupid sinner. That language of ignorant and stupid sinner, that's uh, 18th century English. Not, it's not cruelty, uh, etc. Confirm the wavering comfort, etc., etc. This, now listen to this. This is the repentance, and these are the fruits meet for repentance, which are necessary to full sanctification. I've heard all kinds of sermons about sanctification. You need to be sanctified. God can sanctify. You ought to be sanctified. Come get sanctified. Nobody ever tells you this. But John Wesley said, if you're not doing those two things, you're not going to be sanctified. That's interesting. Uh, And I'm I'm going to tell you why. And And then he says this. This is the way wherein God has appointed his children to wait for complete salvation. Now, let me attach two things in the last uh, 10 minutes here. Uh, Maybe three things. I'm going to attach three things together. Earlier, he said that at the end of gradual sanctification, right? God's bringing you into this thing of death to self. He said, that's how you wait. What? At the cross, on your cross. You know, you're, you're dying to self, You're becoming more and more alive to God, and there it is, you wait. Okay, now he's added to that. How do you wait then? What do you do to wait? While you're waiting, the works of piety and works of mercy are absolutely necessary. And so, why? And and I'm going to attach it, the third thing, I'm going to attach that to spiritual respiration. Here's what I mean by this. 
Spiritual respiration, I said in the second and third meeting, was about breathing in God's grace through Bible prayer and worship and breathing out through uh, love, which involves serving others and God, praise and prayer. Now, that means I have to take in and I have to give out. You can't just take in. You can't just be a Bible-reading Christian. My wife and I, my wife just asked me just two hours ago, she said, uh, what about so-and-so? They don't, they don't come to church. I mean, this lady would come to Sunday school, but she would leave before the service. Why is that? Well, she liked the fellowship of the Sunday school class. That was her friends. She's taken in. But that's it. They, they talk very religiously. They read their Bible every day. They have time to pray every day. They do not give out, and they don't look like Jesus. Because reflecting the sun is about receiving and reciprocating. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, a rhythm to it, right? Take in, give out. Take in, give out. You can't just take in, you die. You can't just give out, you die. And so spiritual respiration is what is necessary. Think about it. Think about what he says. This is how God appointed you to wait. How? In spiritual respiration. Spiritual respiration is the way that God works. And again, I think I said this so day, but I'll make it plain here. If, you, if, if your soul is turned inward because of carnality, and now the, and by the way, that happened because we lost the spirit, right? The spirit's brought in, boom, that's the first step. Now, how does he get us outward again? By us looking to him in prayer, by us looking to the scripture, by us worshiping him, by us reaching outside of ourselves to serve others and to serve God. And next thing you know, all those actions are pulling us outward, which is how gradual sanctification works. And it's how we wait. We have to wait uh, by pouring our... Look, if I had a glass full of Diet A&W root beer, which is what I always drink, if I had a glass of... You know that. If I have a glass of Diet A&W root beer, I can't get a full glass of something else until I dump this out. If you got a full glass, you got to dump it out for somebody to fill up your glass. If you're full of yourself, God can't fill you, fill you up with His self. And so He's got to put you through that process. But how will He do it if you're not in the Scripture, if you're not praying, if you're not serving others and God, if you're not giving outside yourself. So this is the process, and without it, there is no growth. You can't even stay where you are, he says. I think that's a very practical look at, at how we're transformed through the process of spiritual respiration. Okay, what do you think? Let me have it. Am I, am I saying it plain? Am I making sense? This coming about. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, as Jackie Chan says? Any questions? Anything lacking? We have a microphone. Let's, you want to walk around like uh, Johnny? Oh, come on, Johnny. Go on. Who's, who's got a question or a comment, a thought? Yes, uh, hit the microphone on that one there. Johnny? I'll call him Johnny. It just sounds like it just sounds like it's a, a talk show. Yeah. Yeah. The the sentence that was about pie. I think it was on the first. Works one. of piety. Yeah. Piety. I didn't. I didn't really understand ah, that. Okay. Yeah. That's an old English word. Uh, pious action is like holy action, right? The, the word piety means holy holiness. 
So the works of piety are uh, are ministry. Oh, sorry, works of piety are Bible reading, prayer, and worship. You were saying that it's not enough to read the Bible. Right, right. Yes, if you're taking in, like you're just reading your Bible every day, right? You sit at home and just read your Bible. You learn Bible knowledge, but there's some transformation in you that does not occur. And you won't, I mean, you may be religious, but you won't look like Jesus because who was Jesus? He was self-giving. He was serving. He was emptying. He was emptied of himself. And you cannot sit at home and read your Bible and be Jesus. That doesn't cut it. And so works of piety are religious action. Works of mercy are things you do to to go outside of yourself. So if you take in, and the way I think about it is like this. If God put, and it's a discussion going back again to something on love. I can't remember where I had this discussion about love. But, you know, you can't just love out of your own love. God has poured, poured his love into you, Romans 5, 5, by the coming of the Holy Spirit, by the way. And again, Paul's big on this thing of regeneration. When the Spirit comes, the love of God is in you. Well, you know, if you, if you have a stagnant pond, it begins to stink, right? Uh, and so if you take in God's love, but you don't share it anywhere, you begin to stink. You just go around thinking God loves you, and that, that'll, be, uh, that'll be a wrong perspective. So you have to, if you take it in through works of piety, through religious action, you need to be sharing that back to God through serving others through works of mercy. That's what he means by that. I call it, I call it means of grace and ministry is how I say it. Means of grace, things I do uh, to, to take in and, and ministry, things I do to put out, you know, so take in and give out both. You have to, you have to have both ways going. Yeah. All right. Somebody else? Johnny's got the mic. Anybody else? Uh, yes, ma'am. He'll get you up there. It's it on? Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess two things come to my mind. So the, the first being about waiting on entire sanctification. Yeah. Um, I have heard you know this spoken on, preached on before. I appreciate you talking about it. Um. Is there a, would you describe a means of knowing if you've, if you've reached entire sanctification? Yeah. And that's kind of the first question. The second, or the second one is, I guess, more, I don't know if it's a question, but the idea um, of the works of mercy, I think, you know, as a, I often hear men speak on this, and yep. I'm not, you know, yeah, yeah, no. I'm not hating on men by any right. means, but I've often been conflicted over the this because you know, you're giving so much often to your children, your family, and of course we should find other means, but there are times where it's just like, whoa, I feel like I'm giving it all out to my family and my household, um, and so I say that just to say that's. Yeah, that's something to consider. I know Absolutely. we don't want to get stuck there. Mm. Well, let me let me take that one first, and then I'll move on to the second one. Um, at some points in your life, your family is your ministry. I mean, that's that's the reality of it. Uh, that's your first ministry. I think that's you, you are responsible first and foremost with that family. I mean, that that's your first place. Uh, so I don't think that's a negative at all. Now, will that be the entirety of your life? No, 
But there may be a time period in which you are more consumed with your family, but that is works of mercy. That is works of mercy. Um, nursing a baby is a work of mercy, right? Uh, I mean, every aspect of that. So sometimes your life is consumed with that. It won't be that way forever. Uh, there'll be times even in that midst where you get to do something. But uh, I don't think there's any negative in shutting down what you do outside of yourself to take care of your family in that moment. That's first thing. Second thing, uh, how do you know? Okay, so the rest of the sermon is often, uh, of Wesley's sermon, often misunderstood because he asks a question and most people misunderstand what he means by it. But he says, he says um, how will this happen in sanctification? Is it gradual or is it, uh, is it uh, um, what's the word? Immediate, you know. And he's talking about for those who are waiting those who are waiting, uh, dying to self, they're waiting in the means of grace and ministry, they're waiting there. Now, how do you go from that to entire sanctification? How do you go to the, from the, I guess stay in my box, uh, how do you go from the end of gradual into entire sanctification? And he says, sometimes it's gradual, and you don't even know when it happens, but all of a sudden you just realize, you know, I, I am experiencing a freedom that I didn't have before. But you don't know it, but Sunday night at 6 o'clock, whatever, you know. Other times, it is instantaneous, and it's more of a thunder and lightning situation, and you know it. Now, he means by that, at the end of, between, between gradual and entire, some people think he means all the way back to the beginning. You know, they, they misunderstand. They say, oh, he's, he just threw out everything he just said about initial and gradual. He's saying, you get saved, yeah, any moment now, you don't have to do anything. You can just be entirely sanctified just like that. No, he's talking about at the end of gradual, at the end of yourself, how do you go from that to that? And sometimes it's gradual, sometimes it's instantaneous. So even Wesley admits, sometimes you don't know. I mean, it, that was the way it was with me when I was born again. I was praying for three months. And all of a sudden one day, I realized, hey, something's different. I was in the midst of something. And I said, these guys are different then I realized, no, I'm different. And I don't know exactly when it happened. Was it then or was it a week? I don't know, but I realized a little later. Um, sometimes that happens with entire sanctification. You're at that place of waiting, of praying, of trusting. Because again, it's something God does, not something you do. Keep that in mind. You're, you're waiting and you're trusting and, you're, and all this. And sometimes then you look back and say, uh, I am, uh, something has changed. It is different. He is doing this work in me. I think there's probably a witness of the Spirit aspect as well that you know, at some point, you, and again, it may not be the very day of, but at some point you recognize that there is a freedom inwardly in me that was not there before. Um, you know, it's not, there's the power of sin and the, uh, and the being of sin is different. That, that thing inside me is, is being cleansed by Him. And again, it's not like He takes something out and all of a sudden you're, whatever, but that is being cleansed by him completely, and you, you get a sense of that at some point. It could be a more immediate moment at some point when in, in prayer and in trusting, and all of a sudden, you know in that moment, hey, that I've been trusting him, I've been praying and waiting and trusting, and he did, just did it in my life. You might know it, but you might not, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a either way there. I hope that answers that question somewhat.
Exactly. Right. You control the surrender. You control the, you can control the dying to, but when it happens, it's not in your hands. Same thing is true about being born again, by the way. We don't like that. John said that in John chapter 1, you know, it's not by the will of man, but by the will of God. Uh, but uh, we like to have it happen when we want it to, you know. I want to have 10 people saved tonight, as if I can do that, you know. Any other questions or comments? Snap remarks? Confusions? Conundrums? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, of the action. Yeah, okay, so I think you're talking about the Ephesus, when he goes to Ephesus. They've been baptized by John, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. Correct. John was calling people to repentance, right? And that was his baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. Come, prepare yourself for the Messiah. They had done that. Now, it's, I think they probably believed that Jesus was the Messiah at this place. But when, John, when, when Paul shows up, they had actually not been born again. They had some belief. They had been baptized by, under John for repentance, looking for the Messiah, and they came to the place where they said, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but they had not received the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's what occurs there. Pete, uh, Paul's like, dude, you're not, you're not done yet. You're, you're right at the door, but you've not walked through it yet. And so, boom, that's what he does in that, in that time. Yeah. Anybody else before I call it quits? Uh, yes, ma'am, in the very back, with the headband, which I like. Um, so, well, um, going off of Abby's question, mm-hmm. how do you call it? Means of mercy, works of mercy? Works of mercy uh, and, wor- and works of uh, piety? Yeah, so would you, going off of that, would you consider marriage to be a, a works of mercy? And if so, would you think that the modern Christian American church teaches that nowadays? Um, it could be in some sense because, boy, you're bringing me into a problem right now, Kelsey. <laughs> but I'm going to dive right in there because I do have a couple of minutes left. Um, Peter and Paul both used that terrible S word when talking about women. Submit. Remember that? Uh, the word submit is a, it, it means a voluntary placing yourself in a, in a place, right? Technically, it doesn't say that it's automatic, right? If a man marries a wife, she's automatically in submission to him and under him. It doesn't say that. But he, they do say to the women, hey, you want to help your man be, the man, be a man? You, you want to uh, help him? You do that by this voluntarily placing yourself in a, in a, um, in a for, um, what's the word, formation. That's for the woman to do. That is a, guys, th- that's a ministry to that man in, in, in some sense, if you think about it. And it, it, I'm not doing premarital counseling with you, but if I would, I would tell you that men have emotional needs differently than women, and one of the emotional needs is, is respect. Um, Paul kind of says that, right? What does a woman need? She needs love. She, the man should love his wife, 
with a sacrificial love. She needs the security of that. And what does he need? Let the woman respect her husband. He needs respect. That's what's going to make him a man. You take away the respect, he, you take away what it takes for him to be a man. Just like if you take away the secure, self-giving love, you take away what it takes for her to be the woman you want her to be. So in some sense, Kelsey, that is, I think that's a good point. Uh, there is a ministry to the husband and or wife that's involved. You know, Wesley doesn't place that in the, oh, he's telling me I got to go. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Wesley doesn't place that in the works of mercy, but I think you could probably see it as that. Now, is that the only works of mercy you should do, as we were talking about with Kelsey? At times, there is a complete, I, I think I just called you Kelsey. Sorry, that's Kelsey, um, with Abby. Um, there are times, possibly, when that focus has to be complete. But I think, um, largely speaking, uh, that has to be a part of what, but maybe not all of what you do in that sense, yeah. But there could be times when it's, when it's all you can do is minister to your spouse. Yeah. Everything is perverted these days. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that, see, it goes both ways with that thing with, with Paul. A man gives himself to his wife the way Jesus did for the church and then she does the submission thing voluntarily to lift him up they're both think about it they're lifting each other up he says I'm putting you on a pedestal you are the queen I'm putting you on a pedestal and I will give everything and she says well well you know what you're the king and I'm gonna let and so I always tell usually I'll say this in the marriage ceremony in fact I'll say uh here's my advice you treat her like the queen, she'll treat you like the king. And that's, that's really what Paul is saying there, you know. Okay. I got zero minutes on the clock out there, so I'm out. I'm done. I'm complete. Thank you for, for uh, not throwing any rocks during these four weeks. That was amazing. But, uh, yeah, thanks for letting me uh, come and share a little bit with you. And um, I'll, uh, I'll close with prayer and uh, continue to pray for you guys because uh, I do have a little bit of connection with the church here, so. Thank you, Lord, for this time, these four weeks, as we thought about living and walking and moving, breathing in your grace. Uh, continue to take us down that path, a path of uh, crucifixion, of new life, of, of uh, cleansing and wholeness that comes as we wait and allow your spirit to move and shape us who, in who we are. May we be more and more and more alive to God and more and more and more like Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.